Hi, Alex. I keep listening for an exclusive offer for listeners of the podcast. Future of Film Summit is back from 6th of December 2022. This year, we are online and on demand from the 6th to the 13th of December with incredible speakers from across film, entertainment and technology, including, well, Joanna Popper, CMO, that's Chief Metaverse Officer at Creative Artists Agency, discussing the now and the future of the metaverse and how CAA is approaching this space with their clients. Niels Jewell, Martin Scorsese's exec producer and founder of NFT Studios, talking about the opportunities of Web3 in the film space. And I'm also very excited to announce we have Dan Erickson. Dan is writer, creator, and showrunner of one of the most ambitious and expansive and compelling story worlds we've seen on screen this year. That's Apple TV's Emmy Award-winning Severance. Plus, we have an exclusive array of sessions on AI, Web3, virtual production, and the metaverse. And, of course, how all this, all of these elements impact and empower screen storytelling. And for those of you who are in the UK or or close to the UK, we are in real life for the finale, the showcase. This is our exclusive networking reception at a very special venue in central London on the 13th of December. And this will be when we are, for the first time, revealing the final projects from Future of Film Incubator 2022. Tickets are available now for all ticket types from futureoffilm.live. Just head to the summit page. And here is the aforementioned offer for you, dear listeners of the podcast. As a very special thank you for listening, we have a 20% off all ticket types. Just use the code PODCAST20 when you check out. That's PODCAST in all caps, PODCAST20 to access your 20% off. So that's Future of Film Summit 2022 from the 6th of December. I really hope to see you there. If you enjoy the podcast, you will certainly enjoy this. And as always, all of the details are available now at futureoffilm.live. Welcome back to Future of Film Podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz, and as regular listeners know, this is the show where we share insights and strategies from the pioneers, trailblazers, and disruptors who are shaping the future of film. Today, I am delighted to welcome back to the show a very dear friend of Future of Film, Brian Newman. Brian, of course, is founder of Subgenre and is perhaps in my book at least, the world's leading expert on brand-funded films. He consults on content strategy, distribution and marketing for some of the top brands in the world, including Amazon, IBM, The New York Times, Patagonia, Stripe, Sundance, Unilever, the list goes on. He is also, of course, a bona fide feature film producer in his own right, and previously served as CEO of the Tribeca Film Institute. His free weekly newsletter on the industry is simply essential reading, and I urge you to subscribe to that if you're not already at sub-genre.com. 
And this conversation, of course, really centered on the opportunities for filmmakers and storytellers to tap into brand partnerships, brand money, let's just say it. And I started the show by asking Brian to describe the work that he does. I've carved out this very weird niche in the business where I, well, I have done some independent film production and I had a film that I produced called The Outside Story that came out during COVID. It was independent, no brands involved. I realized that there's a gazillion production companies making great films and what brands really needed that was missing, I felt, was that earlier stage of, we think we want to do this. What's the right strategy to move into film? And how do we connect with the right filmmakers? And then a second piece of the puzzle for brands is once we've made a film and it's getting distributed, if we're lucky, how do we get involved in the distribution and marketing of the film or, or distribute and market the film we've made? And those are the two arenas I focus on, kind of the very early stages in the end. And with this film, um, this is actually a good story for this group. I didn't think of it on purpose, but it actually came to us as a cold call. So when you don't know anyone at the brand, you, you can sometimes cold call the brand through a LinkedIn reference. And they, and they found their way to myself and a colleague at REI. And it was the producer of the film, Valerie Stadler, who's an accomplished independent producer in New York. And, and she thought maybe it would overlap with REI's interests. And, th and then we evaluated it and decided to invest as equity finance partners. So equity financing, very big in the US majority financing for most films, very little state financing of films. Our, we get tax credits depending on where you shoot, but it's very different than a lot of the, um, say more European support style. Um, they were raising equity and they ended up raising from about three different investment groups, two of which were more traditional film investors and REI, which was a brand. We put in roughly 20 to 25% of the budget in cash as equity in the film and we'll recoup in the waterfall. That's not always the way brands fund films. Sometimes it's just pure sponsorship uh, or donations or complete financing, which we can discuss. But in this case, it was equity financing. So brands are really looking at the full scope. This was a film we came in at the script stage and it still changed and ended up with some different cast. The script changed a little bit. So it's very early stages. So it can be all stages. And typically, however, we find projects because we go out there and meet with producers and agencies and production companies and try to find good projects that are getting made that happen to overlap with our values. Uh, and that's how REI works. Many brands, however, have a very specific agenda, which we can discuss in a moment. And they'll reach out to filmmakers saying, we want to make this film about this subject and finance it, but it, but it differs brand to brand. So just to take a, a, a step back, I suppose, what is the why why a brand why do brands want to invest in films in the first place because uh well i guess there's lots of other ways that they could potentially spend that money advertising being an obvious one what is the when you're speaking to brands and i know REI's been a long standing client so you've got that kind of mm -hmm. the, the, they that, that's quite established uh for for them but yeah when you're speaking to brands who maybe not in this space why you know, when they say, why should we invest in a, a piece of content? 
what, what do you say to them? Yeah, and I think I like to differentiate between content and film when it's film in particular, but it is content for most brands because they're looking at podcasts, they're looking at journalism and blog posts. They're, some of them are looking at new media and you know everything you can imagine in that space. So it can be a broad gamut. And it's usually because they're still going to do advertising. You know, if you've got a lot of money, in particular, income blanket advertising everywhere someone looks, it, it tends to work. And, and with digital and social media, it's become even much more targeted and specific. However, anyone who's on this Zoom is probably like me. You start to get a little sick of seeing ads everywhere you look and having what you're watching that you want to watch interrupted by an ad that you don't want to watch. And brands are made up of people too, believe it or not. And they realize that as well. And um, <clears throat> so they realize that advertising doesn't always work, that it's interrupted. People are using ad blockers and it's not always the best way to reach someone. They realize also that product placement can work, but it also can be off-putting and you don't want to necessarily see a um, REI product in every shot when you're watching a movie, you know, like a stranger things where you'll see many products. And secondly, I think they realize that their audiences, consumers, as they would say, are especially younger ones. There's many studies that show that consumers want brands to stand for something and to show their values and film, especially documentary film can be a really good way to broadcast your values. And so a brand like REI, um, you know, broadly speaking, they're, they want to get people outdoors and, and people often think uh, that means extreme sports, like I said, mountain climbing or, or um, extreme hiking or something, but they actually really understand that if they're gonna have a, a strong customer base in the future, they need people to get off their phones and off their butts and literally just go out to the, the park and enjoy nature and understand that nature can be healing. So they wanted to focus on a, a broader array of storytelling styles to encourage that. And it's one reason why REI is not investing in virtual reality, for example, at the moment, because they want to get you off your goggles and, and outside, not, not duplicate nature in, in a virtual environment, although that might change in the future and there'd be good use cases for that, but in the, in the short term or not. So a lot of brands, that's the reason why. So I'm working, for example, with Oatly, the oat milk, um, which is doing a project that hasn't been announced yet, but it overlaps with their values, which if you've seen their commercials, you would know is about um, switching away from dairy to plant-based alternatives. Um, and then I'm working with Purina, which makes pet food. And they're doing a film that will be a documentary kind of in the vein of a best in show, a little bit comedic take on the, on the dog show culture. And they know you might watch the dog show, you might see their advertisements, but if you got a pet during COVID, as many people did, you you might be thinking of it in different ways. And so they might make a movie about, uh, for example, 
another thing we're considering in the future is um, the increasing use of pets um, for therapy, uh, you know, after, after um, physical trauma or mental trauma um, or as companion pets for people in nursing homes and, and things like that. So the, there's a lot of ways you could think of making a film as a way to break through the noise, broadcast your values, and give a lighter touch to audiences than a hit you over your head commercial. Yeah. Yeah, it can be quite creative. And, uh, yeah, and I guess for, for those brands who are mature enough in a, in their sort of figuring out their values, um, it's it's it, it makes sense. And uh, just for the record, Oatly and Purina are brands that we're very familiar with in the Stoltz household. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> if they're interested in supporting the Future of Film podcast, I'd be happy to to endorse yeah. them. Well, we'll start with them as guests, maybe, and that can entice <laughs> yeah, them exactly. into that arena. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, no, but in all seriousness, that that makes that makes a lot of sense, and and I think crucially, there's this there's real scope, isn't there? For I think one of the misconceptions people might have of brands is that it limits creative freedom in some way. And, and these ideas you're talking about seem very um, yeah, unre- unrestricted in, in that sense. Yeah, the, I've, I've probably selected a, a group of brands that I work with that I think have good values and that represent businesses that I that I would use and like. I've, I've been working with um Exxon on on um, oil selling or something, which I'm I'm against. Um, however, I'm sure they're doing films as well, and I'm just not the one doing them. But uh, and you also will see cases, especially in the short film realm, of things that are very brand centric. And a lot of times you'll see they might win like a Can Lion Award for advertising, but when you go to their YouTube channel, it's like five thousand views, almost no one's watching it. And I tend to work with brands that are like, you know what, that's not what we want to do. We want to work with real filmmakers, real artists doing something that people want to see. And they are giving the artists creative control and final cut. It's not like a work for hire where you show up and just direct that scene like in an advertisement. It's usually very uh, much about building trust at the beginning so they can give that creative freedom, especially if they're footing the the entire bill. But it's increasingly um, about a good creative vision. Another example, just real quickly, is uh, many people don't realize this year the Academy Award Oscar for Best Short Live Action went to a film um, called The Long Goodbye, which was actually financed for by WeTransfer, um, which has a division called we present where they where they make films and shows um that was with riz ahmed and uh, neil kareem were directors it's a short 11 minute long uh piece but it premiered at real film festivals um it ended up winning um the british independent film awards and a can lion but also then the academy award and you know you can't you, well, you can definitely buy your way into Academy Award in terms of spending a ton on marketing, but you can't buy it with with a crappy film at the end of the day. And so it's a real movie, and, and that's what a lot of brands are doing. And it was a real creative vision. And that particular film, if, if you get around to watching it, it's on it's online. It's also 
essentially about intolerance of, of immigrants. And, and so they're even tackling not the hardest issues, but, but issues that you would sometimes be surprised at for a brand. Can we talk a little bit about the the A word activations? Um, yeah. What 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 is what is a, what is an activation? Firstly, and is that an essential part of the brand's thinking when they commit to a project? Yeah, it's a really good question, and I learned this when I used to run film festivals and, and film organizations. Um, the um, when 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 a when you run a film fest, especially the smaller ones, a lot of people will put together a sponsor presentation kit that's like, "Hey, Coca Cola, sponsor our film festival," and we'll put your logo in places, and and that's good and everything. But what brands are really looking for is how can they activate the brand at an event or within a movie or around a movie, and what they mean by that, in layman's terms, is kind of how can the brand show up in interesting ways in multiple places around an event and, and not just slap a logo somewhere. And so um, with many brands, the, the film itself, they might be in the credits as a logo. So with REI, we've negotiated to be able to say REI Co-op Studios, the division of REI that makes films, gets a logo in the front credits of any film we financed above a certain amount, it might end up in the end credits, depending on the film. Um, but that's not showing up throughout the movie. And as we all know, not everyone looks at the credits. So what they wanted, what they're really doing is financing the film for all the reasons they can do other things around the film. And that might mean um, doing a podcast where they interview the directors of the film about why they made this film and running it on their channels. It might mean when the film comes out, uh, like Space Oddity, the film we premiered at Tribeca, um, at the party that we threw for the film, you know, we gave out some gift bags with some REI merchandise. That, that's a nice little thing to do for some VIP guests at the red carpet premiere or whatever. But more importantly, REI has retail stores across America. Um, we have over, I think, 160 stores and 22 million members. And there are members outside of the U.S., because you can shop on their website from anywhere in the world. Um, and what we want to be able to do is when you go to the REI store, we can promote that the movie's coming out and we might have a display showcasing the movie and everything about the movie and the character from the movie and talking about why you should care about this movie and why REI supported it. But we're, we're not selling a jacket. It's actually about pushing you to go see the movie. So for example, working with Patagonia, a, who sells items in REI. Um, this is an older film, but we did a documentary called Damnation, um, which is about dam removal uh, to restore native rivers to the way they should run. And it combats climate change and all kinds of things. It's a long story that you can learn in the documentary. But every Patagonia store, when that movie was released, had when you walk into a store and you see images for clothing everywhere instead of that we had images from the movie throughout every store in the world for patagonia and on the front windows of patagonia we had decal logos that spelled out damnation and the picture of a dam getting blown up kind of uh, which happens in the movie because uh, people are blowing up dams and restoring rivers 
And in the U.S., we were petitioning the Obama administration at the time to specifically target four dams that were no longer producing power and that were just blocking rivers that we wanted removed and that there's a big movement to remove. And you could sign a postcard that added your name to a petition and we literally had a mailbox you could put it in and we would gather those signatures to bring to Obama and got millions of signatures. So those are all examples of activations a brand might do around a film. A a brand might also do an activation that includes um, a VR activation at a a film fest or um, at a museum and tied to a movie or something. Um, They might do takeovers of Times Square with billboards. That would even be an activation. (laughs) It can be many things. Um, But often what's crucial for filmmakers is once we make our movie, as, as Alex knows with Ushiru and, and all the things you do, uh, marketing and getting th- people to the movie is difficult. And if you're not uh, marketing a Tom Cruise movie, you don't have that kind of budget. So if a brand can help you market your film, that to me is the most single important thing um, that a brand brings is its marketing prowess. And its ability to activate the brand can also help get butts in seats and eyeballs on a movie. And and then I'll, I'll shut up. I've been speaking a lot, but uh, you know, you can sell your movie to Netflix, which is everyone's dream these days, it seems, but you might be lost in that Netflix queue and no one knows your movie exists. But if a brand is helping promote it, it can help rise it above the fray. Apparently not for the movie everyone's trying to find in the chat um, with, um, with the short, the one, the long goodbye, I'll, I'll try to find it while we're chatting and, and post it in there myself in a second. Yeah, well, it sounds like that's a that's the dream, the, the the dream kind of partnership, isn't it? Where they they are financing and then they're invested in the the discovery piece, the audience piece, um, and ensuring that the film has. Yeah, you know, has has an impact. So that's that's really exciting. You talked a bit about the financing side of things. Are there any standard ways that brands engage in the financing of of films, or or is it all open to discussion and uh, and what whatever works for one brand and the project? Yeah, most brands, um, if you know, even if so, they might be set up to make money selling a handbag or a shoe or something, but they wouldn't even know how to uh, account for the revenue from a movie if they wanted to. This is not part of what they're used to doing. So, the majority of brands, if they get involved in film, are sponsoring film, and so they're, they're. They're giving money to the film, but not expecting a financial return, which is good for most filmmakers because that's what you could also call soft money that you don't have to return like an equity investment and it can offset your budget. Um, Sometimes it can be donations, not just sponsorships. So sponsorship would come from the marketing department and it's often about getting their logo out there and being able to do activations. But almost every brand has a division called corporate social responsibility. And they may even have a foundation which supports things that are causes they care about. And so sometimes they will give a grant to a film, especially for documentaries, especially for social issue based 
documentaries. Um, and other times they wouldn't term it either a sponsorship or a donation. They're just funding a film and it might be part of their marketing budget or something, but they're, they're not expecting a return. It's just a kind of a, they're fully financing a film. And that's the most common thing is for them to fully finance Oatly, the film that they're making, it's fully financed. They picked a producer or gave them creative control and final cut. Um, but, and they talked about the direction that they wanted the film to be about in general, but that the film was to get so lucky as to go to Toronto and sell for millions of dollars, they may not make any money. The, the brand might not make any money back. Whereas REI, as I mentioned, was an equity investment. And that's a rarer thing to see. So every now and then you'll see an equity investment. And what, as a filmmaker, just the quick thing would be when you're negotiating with a brand, you, you discuss all this up front. So you know, what is their expectation? Is it financial return? Is it marketing ability? Is it just to get the word out about the movie because they care about the mission? Those are all parts of your earliest conversations. And before I forget, if you're making a documentary that you intend to sell to public broadcasters, especially in Europe, like Arte France and, and Germany, they don't want brand funding because their mandates make it so you, you're supposed to be independently um, or, or funded by other broadcasters and, and not corporately influenced. Even though the brand might not be influencing you, they, they worry about it ethically. So it's not the source to look for if you're doing a, a documentary intended for public broadcasting. Yeah. Yeah, that's an important uh, point to consider. And I believe certainly in the UK, there's still uh, regulations for content yeah. shown on, on, on broadcast TV. Um, obviously, streaming has its own <laughs> has is 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 free from those kind of restrictions at the moment. But uh, yeah, you, you can't necessarily have brand funded stuff on TV. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think you can, but it's it's complicated, and there's still probably quite some sort of misunderstandings and yeah, uh, there's and just different rules it. usually, and that you have to follow, and so you need to be very careful. And that's another topic kind of in some ways, but I would say the other thing though is you don't want to hide a brand's funding for sure, especially if you're making a documentary about a subject like the Oatly film that'll end up being about, you know, kind of dairy, anti-dairy and, and pro-plant. They're going to disclose that Oatly was a financier because that's of material value to a viewer to know it's not unbiased. <laughs> and, and I've seen films where that's been a little bit hidden and that can that's not something you want to do if you're engaging in ethical filmmaking at least if you're enjoying the show why not sign up for our monthly email newsletter which you can do at futureoffilm.live how do you manage the issue of ip ownership in these discussions, is there a, again a default position, or what should what should filmmakers be expecting? I suppose, or yeah, anticipating on that. Yeah, it's very different actually, depending on several factors. But the the, the key thing is, if it's your idea, and it was something you were going to be making as a creative concept of any type of media, whether or not a brand got involved, 
you should maintain ownership of the IP and the copyright. And that should be clear from the start. And you might license your IP to a streamer for 10 years or something, and it reverts back to you, but the ultimate ownership is you. If it's a brand that's fully financing a film, for example, we worked with a division of Unilever called Sir Kensington's, which in the, I believe is expanding into the UK now, but it's been mainly in the US. Um, it's, it's a They make ketchup and, and mayonnaise and mustard and, and also vegan versions of those and healthier versions. And they made a film called Fries, which maybe would be called Chips in, in, in the UK, but it um, was about French fries. And, and that sounds stupid, but it was actually kind of fun. Like we had Malcolm Gladwell talking about like what makes the perfect fry and what's the history of fries. They weren't, they're not originally French fries or British. They actually were invented in Peru, which is where the potato is from. Who knew? Um, but it but it was a fun movie. It was not trying to change the world. It was, you know, a fun documentary. That was completely their idea. They wanted at the end of the day to sell ketchup and they own the copyright to that. But it was clear with the filmmakers up front and the filmmakers, um, if you're working on a project like that, where you may not own the IP and the and the long life back into the film, um, you'll often make sure you work into your fee a, a bit of a uh, profit because you may not see the profit you would get on the back end of a movie uh, the same way. So a lot of times, just like people are doing for streamers now, where they, the streamer might buy out the rights for 20 years or more or forever, um, you might work in a 10 to 20% profit margin on top of your usual fee uh, but that's all part of the negotiation do they brands per se you'd mentioned streamers there do you do they have a a preference per se as to where the film is shown is is a theatrical element often the sort of starting point it's interesting i think you know the rise of streaming um has affected everyone and then because of covid it became you know even more rampant and so a lot of brands that were a little bit more focused on a, a film festival premiere and maybe a theatrical release first shifted into really desiring direct to streaming uh for for a while now and that's been for the last couple of years kind of to be honest the bane of my existence is you'll meet with a brand and they they just are solely focused on let's get on Netflix. And that may not always be the best thing for a movie. And that's starting to change again. I think they're now realizing a couple things. Um, one, there's a lot more platforms to, to, to work with. And there's now AVOD and fast channels and in addition to stream in addition to traditional streaming um, subscription fee. There's also a recognition that things can get lost in that shuffle. So there's, you know, and like everyone else, they're they're waking up and realizing, oh, theaters do exist and, and didn't disappear. And so that's starting to come back into the equation. But what they do care about the most is that a producer, either on their own or with a sales agent or with a member of their team who might be a, another producer or a consultant like myself, at least understands the distribution space and is able to help ensure that the film can can get distribute 
have the best chance to get distribution. It's not always a, a given. You may you may have a great movie that doesn't get into London Film Fest, doesn't get into Locarno, doesn't get into Cannes, Sundance, and sells or it may not sell. So, but they want to be positioned for the best possibility at reaching a, a sizable audience. That audience can be small but a specific niche or it could be a mass audience, but they want to know that you know how to do that. So here's the, the million dollar question, possibly literally, <laughs> Brian, mm-hmm. how should, how should filmmakers, creators, storytellers approach brands in thinking about their projects at what point And what would you recommend to them in terms of that approach? Yeah. So the the first thing I would say is not every film should think about going to brands and it could sometimes ruin a film to, to potentially have a conflict of interest or something. I'm not trying to argue that everyone should have brand funding in their films. The second thing I would say is if you're a filmmaker and you have a production company or you're creating one, it's good to have diverse revenue streams and having a brand practice that, that can be a mixture of just pure advertising, corporate work, and brand supported storytelling can be a crucial way to maintain a business and, and, and pay a staff and keep the doors open. And as you do more of that work, more brands see your work, they see your other work that more might be your creative work. And they also come to you for both of those reasons with better and better projects. So you start to get to work on better and better things and it can be crucial to do that. And then but the, the million dollar question that most filmmakers has is I've got a movie and I think it would be okay to have a brand involved. Um, how do I pitch a brand, my specific movie? And the answer is, Nine times out of 10, it's not going to work. So you have to go into it the same way you do raising any money, knowing it's going to be a lot of hard work. You have to really look at the landscape, um, which not every filmmaker wants to do. But if you look at trade publications, just like in the film world, we have Screen International and Variety and IndieWire and things. There's Ad Week and Advertising Age and Digiday and these different publications that cover the brand world. And they all write articles about what brands are doing. And you'll often see that, you know, um, it's announced that uh, GoDaddy, one of my other clients, uh, which is a web um, um, hosting company, is made a show or a movie. And it'll have a quote from the person at that brand who's involved in that. And they'll usually say why they did it. And it usually has their title. And today with LinkedIn, you can pretty much find anyone and, and, and find out if you have a connection to them, which is best to, to not have a cold call. But even worst case scenario, you can usually figure out uh, the email format for a company pretty quickly and, and find the right person. They're usually head of brand studio or head of marketing or something that's an obvious title. But you research the brand to make sure it fits. You know, it doesn't make sense to go to REI, my client who does outdoor films, with a horror film about someone getting lost in nature um, because they're going to think we want people to enjoy nature. You know, you want to, you want to go to them with the film, maybe where someone escapes uh, a horrendous crime by being really good at nature and, and being good at, at 
at uh, finding their way through the woods um, or that showcases um, the values that a brand has stated on their website. So a lot of times when I've helped filmmakers, which I don't, don't contact me trying to randomly contact brands because I, I don't do that as a business. But when I've had friends that have films that I think, oh, that could actually fit with a brand, we really look at what are the values the brand stands for? What are they doing in the marketplace? And showing the brand that that film aligns. And then you start a discussion, find out what they want to do and why, and talk about how they could be involved in your movie. And it's usually, again, not about, hey, we could put your beer in our movie or whatever, although that could be too. But but oftentimes that ends in a conversation where they just give you some product. It, it's better when you can say, we've noticed you're trying to get people to care about their health more. And our movie is about, um, you know, something to do with public health and, and it seems to overlap with your mission. And when it comes out, it would be great to be able to, um, showcases to your employees and your, and your stores around the world. It would be great to be able to do outreach. You know, Patagonia, for example, they give grants in every city they operate in around the globe. Um, let's activate um, those nonprofits that you work with to do community screenings when the film comes out so that we can have a bigger impact. You know, really try to think through the ways a brand can be involved more than a logo or a product placement. And then hopefully you'll get to that conversation about them giving you money and what structure that could take. Yeah, amazing. That is, uh, that is incredibly helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, so look, we're coming to the end of our time. I think there's, there's been so much uh, valuable information there uh, and inspiration and information. But uh, Brian, I'd like to disclose really just to ask you, you, you really are... Um, I know you're constantly thinking, you're writing about the industry, where it's heading, how it's evolving. Uh, and if anyone uh, hasn't discovered your amazing blog subgenre, uh, I highly recommend it. But tell me, you know, what, <laughs> let me phrase it in a, in a way that uh, is optimistic. What are you uh, most excited about, I suppose, in terms of the the future of filmmaking and filmmaking, you know, across any format, but what, what, what is most positive for you at the moment? I think that the things that excite me the most are actually not what I'm working on at the moment with brands, um, but more the virtual production and the, the kinds of things you've been covering on, on future of film where what people are doing, um, with technology uh, to tell stories differently and, and how that is now um, impacting so many different aspects of the business beyond just distribution and, and what that means for the future. I do think brands will start to get involved in that more right now. I see it most when a brand like IBM might make a documentary about um, their artificial intelligence and how people are using it. But it's, you know, it's a traditional doc, but it's at least thinking about the future. I'm also excited at the fact that more brands are doing cool stuff in this space. So I encourage people to look at Netflix. Um, they worked with Headspace, which is a meditation app, which I've never used. I don't work for them. They're not a client. Um, but they, during COVID, did three different series, one called Unwind Your Mind, another called Guide to Sleep, another Guide to Meditation. 
And they were literally like animations, walking people through mindfulness practices, which wasn't groundbreaking storytelling, but it was a new way of using Netflix in a, in a different way. And, and Netflix branded it Headspace's Guide to Meditation. And that was done with um, regular production companies um, and, and brought the brand forth in a new way. I think another example is F1, the Drive to Survive, which is you know a sport, but it's a brand. And the sport used um, Netflix as part of a multi-pronged strategy. It wasn't the only thing they did but it was about making F1 exciting to new audiences, especially in the United States. That was done with box-to-box films out, out of London. And um, just yesterday, the World Surf League, which is, a, again, you know, an entire body for, for a sport, announced that they're working with box-to-box to do scripted entertainment. Um, and so more and more brands are thinking about how can we think about not just like our brand like um selling a product but how can we influence how people think about an entire sector and and how can we do it with exciting producers so i think it's opening up a lot of finance potential and that's always good for filmmakers um to have new new places to go for financing brian thank you so much for joining us on the podcast yeah absolutely thank you That was my conversation with Brian Newman recorded in the summer of 2022. And it was part of the Future of Film Incubator program, which was made possible by the support of our partners, Autodesk, Epic Games, Unreal Engine, Dell, NVIDIA, and Garden Studios. So many thanks to all of your support. And I look forward to seeing you back on the podcast very soon.